It was one of those conversations that I, I don't think I will ever forget. Sitting around their kitchen table, talking with a family that I had just met, and planning a funeral service for a man I had never met. When we lived in Wisconsin, one of the funeral directors would often call me when a family came to him and they had no church affiliation and wanted to know if I would officiate at the funeral service for this person. And I was always happy to do that if I could because it gave me a chance to connect with some people, to speak to them about Christ, to be maybe just an influence for Christ in their lives when otherwise I probably have no connection with them at all. And this was one of those moments. What makes me remember that conversation is, because, is that when we sat at the table, they introduced themselves, and we talked a moment, and the first thing one of the daughters said to me was, we don't want you to say anything good about our father. And that was the first. Red flags are going up all over the place for me, and I said, so maybe we ought to talk about this a little bit. And... And the story unfolded about how uh, their father had mistreated their mother and mistreated them and abandoned them. And just this whole litany of reasons for them being bitter and angry toward their father. And over the course of the next few days, I had the opportunity to maybe help them walk through a little bit of that. To come to grips with a little bit of it. And I walked sort of a tightrope during that funeral service about what I said and didn't say. But what brings that conversation, what makes that conversation so interesting to me and stand out to me is because it is so unusual. Never before that and never since have I had anyone say to me, we don't want you to say anything good about this person who's died that we've loved. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Everyone's scrambling for all the good things they can think of. I mean, even people who maybe had some questionable lifestyle and character. People are trying to think of things, of good things to say. And especially if I didn't know the person, they want me to know everything good they can possibly think about them. You know, how they treated animals or planted a garden or did this or did that. You know, they're trying to think of anything they possibly can. And in the case of people who are Christians and are really good people, it's easy, much easier. But even then, those conversations are about the good things. And I think that's because when we get to the end of our lives, we hope people do that about us. We hope that when we get to the end of our days, then people are standing around our casket, they're going to say good things about us. That when they think about our lives, it puts positive memories in their minds. The way we treated people, the way we cared for people, how, how we lived our lives. We want people at the end of our days to see things positive about us. And that's good. And ultimately, we want God to say positive things about us. We want to be the people who stand before God and he says, well done good and faithful servant. But here's what we all know. You cannot get to the point at the end of your life where people, and ultimately God, speak good by waiting till the last moment to create an atmosphere of good. The time to start thinking about that time is now. 
The time to start thinking about what people are going to say when we die is while we live. It's now. And I'm convinced that in one way or another, the scriptures are written to help us understand how to live life in such a way that we get to the end of it and we hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. And people say, that was a person that influenced my life for good. It's about connecting ourselves to Christ and living lives that are positive for Christ. But we start that now. And all the scripture is trying to help us understand that and including Paul's letter to the Galatians. We don't know a lot about Paul's interaction with the Galatian people, at least early on. Acts 16 just tells us he went to Galatia. He established the church. We get hints of what went on there in other places, particularly in this letter. But the church is established, and then Paul does what he always does. He moves on to another city. And when Paul leaves, some other Christians come into that city, Christians who, who are Jews come into this this church that is primarily Gentiles and tell them, if you want to be fully Christian, if you want to know all that there is to know about God and you want to be everything God wants you to be in Christ, you have to be a Jew first. And you've got to follow all the Jewish rules, all the regulations, everything that it means for, for to be a good Jew, you have to do that or you will always be a second-class Christian. Now, it's sad that through the years... We have all done that in one way or another in the church. But here is this group of people coming and saying, you have to be like this. And it's all about the law. It's about following these rituals, following this law, doing these things. And it's dividing the church because some of the people are saying, oh, I didn't realize that. And they are following them. And others are saying, no, no, wait a second. I don't think Paul didn't say anything about that. And they're going the other way and it's creating this fracture. And so Paul writes this letter to address this. And Paul's very forthright in this letter trying to help them understand what's false and what's true. And when he gets to chapter 5, Paul talks about the fact that we are free in Christ. There is freedom in Christ. We're not bound by the law anymore. We are free. And then he goes on in verse 19 and says, and by the way, the acts of the sinful nature are not only sexual immorality and debauchery and idolatry and witchcraft, things that we would expect, The acts of the sinful nature are also dissensions, factions, envy, jealousy, selfish ambition. And you can almost hear the people saying to him, okay, we understand what we're not supposed to be, so what are we supposed to be? And Paul says, beginning in verse 22, here's what you're to be. You're to exude the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he adds, just so they don't miss it, against such things, there is no law. Bearing this fruit is what freedom is about. This is what your lives ought to be. Now, you'll notice that these things are, are really about relationships. They're, they're about not so much about our relationship to God as they are about a relationship with other people. And all of these things, in one way or another, seem to me like 
characteristics that the culture in general values. I'm asking myself the question, okay, why would Paul choose these nine characteristics? What is it about them that sets them apart, that makes them something that would be unique to the Spirit? I would expect them to say the fruit of the Spirit is worship. Or the fruit of the Spirit is biblical knowledge. Or the fruit of the Spirit is prophecy or speaking in tongues or, or doing miracles. These things that are uniquely Christian. But they're not. Most of society and culture says it's a good thing to love. Most of society and culture says it's a good thing to be gentle. It's a good thing to be kind. Most of society says these are all good things. So what is it about them that makes them different that's, that would allow Paul to say, this is not just the fruit of being a good person. This is the fruit of being filled with the Spirit. And as I was pondering that question, I was reminded of something I've heard one of my heroes, Dennis Kenlaw, say on a number of occasions, that the more holy we become, the more human we become. Now that seems backwards to us because we think human means sinful nature. But he's saying the more human we become means that we are getting back to the way we were created. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, human beings as God made them to be, that's a part of being holy. It is is creating within us what it really means to be human as God intended us to be. And these characteristics are a big part of that. And the other thing we will find as we explore these characteristics over the next few weeks is that it's one thing to love. It's a whole nother thing to love like Jesus loves. It's, it's one thing to be gentle. It's a whole nother thing to be gentle like Jesus. It's good to be kind. It's a whole different level of kindness when we start looking at the life of Jesus. And I'm convinced that Paul has something deeper in mind about these characteristics than what we might think of them on the surface, what we might think of in our culture and society, because these are things of the kingdom of Christ. And they're different. They're deeper. They're more demanding than what we might think on the surface. This all begins with the Spirit. It all starts with the Spirit in us. These are not things that we say, well, I'll just strive to love. I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just work harder at love. It has to start with the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And everything begins and ends with the Spirit in our lives. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, A good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You get what you get. Whatever the DNA of the tree is, that's what you're going to get out of it. And if the Spirit is in us, this is going to come out of us. I used to think that was it. 
think, why, why do we talk about the fruit of the Spirit? What would be the point of breaking these things down? Because either you have the Spirit in you or you don't. If you have the Spirit, the fruit's just going to naturally flow out of you. And I think there is truth to that. But I also think we have a responsibility. I mean, you know, if you plant a tree in your yard, you do what you can to take care of it. You do everything in your power to make the conditions for it to grow as positive as possible. You can't make it grow. I mean, you can stand out there all day and say, come on, tree, grow, grow, grow. But it doesn't change anything. But you can do some things to make it more, to raise the potential for growth. And the same is true with the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And there are two metaphors or Images that we get in the New Testament. One of them is the parable Jesus tells about, about the, the guy who goes out and he throws spreading seed. And he throws the seed out all around and some of it lands on a hard path and just sits there. Some of it lands in the thorny bushes and it grows a little bit, it's choked by it. Some of it gets into the rocks and it goes down a little bit. Some roots start to form, but the rocks are too much, and it also withers and dies. And then there's fruit that lands on the good soil, and that fruit grows in amazing abundance. And the only variable in that story is the soil. Same sower, same seed, different soil. And part of our responsibility is to develop soil in our lives that makes it easy for the Spirit's fruit to grow in our lives. It's about preparing the soil of our hearts, but connecting ourselves with the things of God. And of course, that's going to mean in some form, the scriptures and worship and prayer. I think prayer is a big part of what we do. Sometimes we think of devotions as checking off a list. It's just one task that we do. We get up in the morning, if you do that, we, we call it even having our devotions. And it's good that we do that. It's good we set aside time. But what if we thought of it not as so much as having devotions as living a devotional life? So that every moment of our day is absorbed in thinking about how we are preparing the soil of our hearts for the Spirit to work in us. We are thinking about Christ in our lives every moment. So that we, and we get, we get so enamored with preparing the soil and connecting ourselves to the things of God that our first instinct becomes Christ. The other metaphor that we find is the passage we read from John 15. Jesus says the only way fruit's going to come out of us is if we stay connected to the vine. And he's the vine. We remain in him, he says, if you want to bear fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. If we are connected to Christ, if he is not our lifeblood, then we can try as hard as we want. And we may look pretty good for a while, but you know what, a, what a, a, some kind of a bush or a, a vine looks like when you cut it off from its source? It'll stay green for a few days, but eventually it withers and dies. 
If we aren't connected to Christ, we will wither and die. And unfortunately, sometimes we are... We spend more of our time trying to do things on our own than surrendering to Christ. And staying connected to to Christ is really about surrendering to him. And again, prayer is a huge part of that. And that's why we're connecting this, this whole emphasis on the fruit of the Spirit with our annual prayer vigil that will take place in November. Three weeks of 24 hours a day praying together. And the emphasis of that will be praying for the fruit of the Spirit. So that we are connected to Christ. Carlo Corretto said, we are what we pray. So what are we praying? What's it revealing about the passion of our lives, the desire of our lives? Do we want fruit to grow in us? The fruit of the Spirit. I also think it's important for us to understand that fruit is intended to be grown in community. Rarely do you see just a lone grapevine by itself doing much of anything. Eh, There might be a few grapes on it, but it's not really accomplishing what it was intended for. It it should be in a vineyard. And a, a lone apple tree is fine, but it's intended to be in an orchard. And you and I are intended to grow fruit and, to, and the fruit of the Spirit is meant to grow in us in community together. In fact, I'm not sure we can actually really, I'm not sure that the fruit of the Spirit can truly develop in us the way God intends outside of community. We need each other to grow. It doesn't take a whole lot to be kind when you're just by yourself. But you start putting your life in with other people's lives and right away your kindness is challenged. It doesn't take, you know, it doesn't take much to, to be gentle with ourselves and that's only the only one that we ever interact with. But you get into a group of people, into a church, into a dorm, into a classroom setting or whatever the case may be, And you start putting yourself with other people and the challenge to be gentle is right in front of us. It's how we grow. And it reminds us of how much we need Christ. The community. See, and we we are known by, as, as a community of faith, more than we are by individuals. People think about us as a gathering of Christians more than just individual people who come to this place. We are, in many people's minds, the church. And the question is not, will the church bear fruit? The question is, what kind of fruit is the church going to bear? I'm I'm amazed at how enamored God seems to be with, with trees and fruit. You go back to the book of Genesis and creation, chapter 1, and God says, I want to create fruit, seed-bearing trees. Trees that are going to bear fruit. I want that to be a part of my creative genius, and it is. And you move to chapter 3 of Genesis, and this tree that bears fruit is right in the middle of the story of Adam and Eve and sin. And then you move to the last chapter 
of the scriptures. Revelation 22. And John says, I saw the city and a river running down the middle of it. And on either side of this river was the tree of life. And it was bearing fruit. Fruit has been God's plan from the beginning for his people. For his creative genius, for his story and interaction with us. So what's our passion about bearing fruit? God wants God wants us to experience the joy and 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 this amazing sense of of fruitfulness what we were created to experience he wants us to know that through the spirit in us do we want it to have a passion for the fruit of the spirit to grow in us and mature in us and to be seen by others being born out of us. You know, we come to this table this morning because all of this is about the grace of God. God's grace that creates us with the intention of bearing fruit and And God's grace that has plans for us in the future of being a part of of his kingdom that is continually bearing fruit. And even now being people who bear fruit, not because of us, but because of him. He's just asking us to let him do it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your desires in our lives to bear fruit. We pray today that we will be enamored with with your plan and your dreams of fruit bearing in our lives. Father, as we come to this table this morning, we remember the night when Jesus met with his disciples. He took bread and he gave thanks to you and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On that same night, he took the cup and again he gave thanks to you and he And he gave it to his disciples. He said to them, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So this morning, Father, we remember. And we pray that your spirit will pour out blessing on the bread and the cup, that it will be food to our souls and inspiration to want in our lives what you want. Through the grace of Christ, we pray. Amen.